today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. It's a historic day, obviously, and any time a new president is uh, inaugurated, but this one's special simply because of the circumstances. I mean, amid a worsening pandemic, an ongoing security threat, President-elect Joe Biden will take the oath of office uh, in, uh, well, just afternoon today to officially become the 46th president. Global's Reggie Cicchini has some details. This is a day that Joe Biden has worked his entire political career for. I'm truly honored to be your next president and commander-in-chief. As he's sworn in, he'll stare towards an empty national mall where flags replace the crowds and precautions replace pomp. Kamala Harris will become the first woman, black woman, and woman of South Asian descent to become vice president, sworn in by the first woman of color to sit on the Supreme Court, Sonia Sotomayor. The day will start with an unprecedented departure from the president, who won't attend the inauguration and will be without his vice president as he leaves town. I want you to know that the movement we started is only just beginning. There's never been anything like it. Donald Trump leaving behind a tattered legacy, a politically divided nation, and an obstacle-laden path for his successor to walk down. Reggie Chikini, Global News, Washington. So uh, let's get the lay of the land here as to what's going to be happening. I mean, there's a lot of pomp and circumstance involved with any inauguration. It's going to be a scaled-down version, certainly, because of what's gone on with the pandemic and certainly the insurrection from two weeks ago. Uh, but there's also a lot of work yet to be done. Joining us to talk about this is uh, Elliot Tepper, Emeritus Professor of Political Science at Carleton University. Uh, Elliot, great to have you back. Glad you had some time for us today. This is a pretty day. It's a momentous day. It is a momentous day, and good morning, Bill. Uh, before we even talk about today, I want to harken back to t- yesterday. Uh, I-, I could not help but notice the stark contrast between uh, Donald Trump uh, and his handling of the pandemic, of course, over the last year, and Joe Biden uh, as president-elect, uh, basically uh, with the-, the memorial service that took place uh, on the mall there uh, by the Lincoln and uh, the Washington memorials. Uh, very moving, very moving experience and a very moving, uh, I-, I thought, tribute to-, to the people who died because of COVID. Yes, I think the inauguration of the next U.S. president really began last night, yeah. uh, as, you, as you have noted. It was truly a moving ceremony, but it was also saying that, you know, there's a new guy in town, there's a new era dawning. That was his message. I take COVID seriously. 400,000 Americans dead under Donald Trump's watch, the singing of Amazing Grace, and also the Canadian content, the singing of hallelujah. Yeah, hallelujah. That was a nice touch. It was. It's lovely to hear. But, but mainly the, the symbolism of it was uh, so important that we commemorate our dead and we plan to do something about it, unlike the predecessor uh, who couldn't be bothered. The tone was something else, too. And, and, and again, uh, both uh, Vice President-elect uh, Kamala Harris and Vice President-elect, or President-elect Joe Biden uh, had comments to make. Uh, but I got the sense that given the moment and given what they were trying to accomplish yesterday, more was less, and I think both of them understood that. And, and again, I, I, I contrast that with the long, rambling uh, diatribes that we used to get from Donald Trump of 45 minutes or an hour and a half sometimes. Brief, but I thought very poignant comments for both of them. Yes, yeah, so it's carefully scripted. Uh, um, it really uh, augurs well for the inauguration under such extraordinary circumstances, keeping in mind that the old era has not gone away. The, we, the inauguration today is being held under the shadow of its, uh, of its predecessor, who, as, you, as everybody knows, couldn't be bothered to show up uh, to hand over the, you know, the transfer of power for the first time in 150 years or something. But the, um, the fact is that there is no inauguration in a traditional sense due to the, to the uh, 
perhaps incompetence of the previous administration in handling COVID. It was already going to be restricted. But the assault on democracy, uh, by the assault on the Capitol building, and the President of the United States is accused officially now in Congress of inciting it, incitement to insurrection. The number of troops there are uh, dwarfing, really swallowing up this inauguration. And it's a very sad sight to see. And we have to add to that that the troops had to be vetted, Bill. The troops Mm -hmm. had to be vetted to be sure there were no white supremacists who might commit violence during the inauguration. There's there's a holdover from the previous era into the what should have been a new start to a new era. Well, uh, Reggie Giacchini, Global News Washington, was on our program yesterday. And and to your point about the vetting, uh, over 100 of these uh, National Guard soldiers have been actually sent home uh, because they found what they called uh, some concerning areas about uh, posts they said or things that they had uh, read or whatever the case may be and just said, you know what, we we don't want you around here. Uh, So they're getting pretty serious about this. Yes, the... (laughs) How can I put this gently? It's a little late, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> you know, Timothy McVeigh blew up the building, federal building in Oklahoma a long time ago, and the, the more modern moment, which could have been the turning point but wasn't, was the assault, really, the attack on the on the uh, Michigan governor, the governor of Michigan that was thwarted, fortunately, but only after the state capitol had been surrounded by armed uh, militia people. Had even at this late date the threat to democracy been taken seriously, perhaps what we saw happen last week, the insurrectionist on the takeover of the Capitol could have been nipped in the bud. So America is waking up very, very late and perhaps not uh, sufficiently to the threat of white extremist uh, and anti-Semitic racial um, militias of all kinds that are going to plague the republic and are a threat to even yet today what we are seeing today and the inauguration of a new president and but this is not a new phenomenon Mel. this is the thing that i found frustrating and you mentioned timothy mcveigh and that's that's going back a long time to, of course to the 1990s early 1990s uh and we knew that he was part of a michigan uh paramilitary organization and uh, these people exist all over the united states they, they you know they, they wear the camouflage they have assault weapons they train in remote areas. I mean, we saw that happen with the, the Toronto 7 a couple of years ago that, uh, thank God, we caught those people and, and yes. th- th- they stopped them. But but it's, I, I don't think you could even do that. There are so many paramilitary operations out there basically wanting to take the country away. And we, this is one of the reasons that I, I think Trump ascended to the point that he did because he was their savior. He was the guy that was going to, he was going to focus all of their attentions and say, yeah, this is our opportunity. And the manifestation of that, of course, was two weeks ago when they stormed the Capitol. That's who those people were. Yes, America hasn't even begun a reckoning uh, with the growth of this kind of activity. But keep in mind this, to swing it to what's happening today, this is also a concern for uh, the, the kind of government that's about to come into power. I think the inaugural address today is basically going to say, Oh, no, I'm here to save the soul of America, and I'm here to heal. And what I'm offering is, is competence and compassion. We saw that last night, as you correctly uh, opened up with today, that the, the Biden era really began by taking seriously the COVID crisis, the four crises of, of the COVID, the economy, climate, and racial equality are all interlinked until you get control of the COVID crisis. 
you don't have the resources to deal with the economy. But the economy, once it's released, will give the, give you the resources to deal with climate and with racial equality. These are all interrelated. Uh, he's got a, a an ambitious agenda. I must say, a surprisingly ambitious agenda. Uh, he's going to today, his first day in office. He's got 17 executive orders already set to go. 100 days of of uh, COVID. That's going to be one of his themes. He's going to say, you know, we're getting 100 million shots into people's arms in 100 days. There's a federal mask mandate. But he's also taking actions on immigration, reversing a lot of the environmental damage done by his predecessor by executive order to the degree he can. And, Bill, he's going to send a $1.9 trillion bill to uh, Congress to enact. And now we'll find out how serious Congress is in working to, uh, together to overcome the immediate crisis facing America. Let's talk about that. I know we're going to have a lot of time in the days and weeks and months ahead and years ahead, uh, Elliot, about this. But uh, you're right. I mean, it's a very aggressive agenda. Some would say an unrealistic agenda because of the expectations that he's setting and the bar that he's setting. But this is his wheelhouse. I mean, you know, people tend to forget it. You know, remember Joe Biden as the vice president for eight years with Barack Obama. But he spent years and years and years in the Senate before that. He knows the Senate, he, and they know him, and he knows how to play the game. Uh, he knows how to get things done in the Senate. Uh, you know, I, he and Mitch McConnell know each other. I don't think they're BFFs, uh, but, but you know, there's, a, I, I think, an understanding there. Trump never knew any of this stuff. He didn't, uh, you know, he, first of all, he hated the Democrats, so that was a, a bridge he was never going to build. Even a lot of the Republicans only went along with him because, well, he was supposedly their leader. Uh, but, but I get the sense there's going to be a different attitude now and plus the fact uh, it, it doesn't hurt of course that he has a slight majority in the house and and for all intents and purposes uh with the vote of the vice president in the senate he's got he's got the votes there if he needs to that's that gives him a leg up on a, on, on previous presidents i would think he's not uh, he doesn't have lyndon johnson's ability to force coalitions together and to basically shoot the pool uh table you know <laughs> lyndon yeah. johnson took took what was uh at that point called, you know, the deadlock, to, deadlock of democracy, my kind of textbooks I was reading at the time. And he just, he just shook that place up. He knew how to, as former leader of the, the Senate, he knew how to, uh, to get legislation through. Joe Biden knows how, and I think we should comment on that, but he will not have the kind of cooperation that uh, Lyndon Johnson could arrange. Lyndon Johnson, though, was one in a million. I mean, you know, one of the great stories of American history uh, was when he assumed the presidency after the assassination of JFK. Uh, he passed the civil rights legislation, and nobody gave That's him correct. a chance. Nobody gave him a chance to do that, to get a two-thirds majority in the Senate. But, boy, this guy, uh, Johnson, was just an incredible politician, and, and he got it done. Yes, and we should build on that. One of the things the Democrats want to do right now is pr precisely to reinvigorate the Voting Rights Act, uh, the House passed a, uh, uh, basically a John Lewis uh, bill yep. not too long ago. They hope the Senate's going to pass it now that the Democrats have this tenuous control of the Senate. Item number one is to restore democracy by restoring voting rights to Americans and to expand the possibility that all who want to vote can vote. We'll have to see if they can get that through. But one of the, continuing on the theme of the competence, it isn't just Joe Biden. He's created a a crisis cabinet. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of bells and whistles around the cabinet, representational uh, symbol, symbolism over this appointment or that. The core of his cabinet 
is designed to hit the ground running now. They know not just Joe Biden. People around him know how government works, and they plan to make it work to the degree they possibly can, given the very strange circumstances and the great challenges of the moment. Uh, which is going to be manifested, I suppose, with the, uh, the the confirmation hearings, of course, for those cabinet uh, appointments that uh, he's already talked about. Uh, they got off to a rocky start, and against, you know, not surprisingly, it was Josh Hawley that was the one that's trying to uh, stick a, a monkey wrench into the works here. But that too shall pass, I would imagine, and I don't think Biden's going to have any problem with most of his uh, his uh, nominees for that. And and you're right, it's a very aggressive team. Uh, you know, Merritt Garland, who should have been on the Supreme Court. Uh, except for Mitch McConnell, uh, is going to be the Attorney General. Uh, and it's going to be a much different Attorney General than Bill Barr, isn't it? Well, anybody would. Well, yeah. <laughs> that Bill Barr, uh, you know, attempted to reclaim his reputation by resigning when he did. But uh, he, he, he was clearly, uh, let's say, a, a close political ally of the President rather than the kind of Attorney General. We don't know, I don't know what kind of Attorney General you're going to have with Merrick Garland. We do know that the you know, he he brings probity and independence. I don't know how aggressive he would be. My personal pick actually was Kamala Harris, somebody with fire in her belly, but she's been uh, chosen for higher office. Mm-hmm. And that, too, is worth commenting on in, in two ways. One is the symbolism of the, you know, having a woman of color and a woman of color uh, from two different communities, uh, Asian and black, assume the presidency, vice presidency, one heartbeat away from... A, a rather senior, the oldest oldest president to assume office in a long time on inaugural day today. That's that's worth noting, but it's also worth noting, since we're talking about the threats that are available in America, I would be very concerned that she might become a special target as a woman of color with a Jewish husband. Uh, this is something to keep an eye on as well. Well, exactly, and and I think the analogy that I read that was rather, I think, insightful about this is that this last four years, you, this is not like an etch-a-sketch, like you could just shake it and go, and it never happened. Um, there's... The, we talked about the, the agenda that, that uh, soon-to-be President Biden's going to have, and that's the political agenda and, of course, the legislative agenda. Uh, but he keeps talking about healing, and I, I, I know he's sincere when he says that, but that is a, a gargantuan task at this stage to try to, to heal some of the rifts that have been created uh, and, and probably widened over the last four years. Yes, I think a whole variety of things on that. One is uh, with the FBI saying anybody who was who was attacking the Capitol can expect a knock on their door. Well, where were they before the necessity came? America has a great reckoning with what to do about this, and we talked about this briefly today, with what to do about the rise of white extremists. Uh, uh, I don't even want to call them insurrectionists. Uh, it's, it's too widespread and not enough has been done. But also the main appeal now of Joe Biden is that, and here's his healing message. His message today is going to be, what it started out. I'm here to heal the soul of America, and he's going to do it by, by competence and governance. And he's, he's going to say again today, whether you voted for me uh, or not, I'm, I'm still here for you, and I'm going to be there for you, and I'm, my government is here for you. He's going to demonstrate through governance and through particular specific actions that you can be helped whether you don't like me or not, and, and you know, you keep that up. Competent governance is his answer to healing America, along with the kind of compassion and empathy that we saw last night and that you, uh, that you discussed.
I got about a minute and a half left, but I got to ask you about this. And we're talking in this healing process, and uh, and that is the the reckoning for the people that have been in the White House and in this administration for the last four years. There, as you know, Elliot, very two very strong uh, opinions on this. One is uh, forget about it. Uh, if you pursue this, it's only going to make things worse. The other is there has to be uh, accountability for what happened for those not just uh, in the Oval Office but others uh, that were enablers, and not just what happened two weeks ago, but what has happened over the last little while. Uh, and that, of course, is, is will the justice system uh, aggressively go after the people uh, that have broken the law in situations like this? Uh, wh- what do you see happening? Well, in terms of those who stormed the Capitol, if those are the ones you're referring to, yes, those will be sought after. What about those surrounding the president of the U.S., some of whom have now been pardoned as of today? And what about the president himself? If the Senate actually removes, uh, you know, convicts the president of incitement, and then by simple majority vote, bars him from taking public office, that will answer the question about his particular future. Mm-hmm. The soul of the nation now is one question, but the soul of the Republican Party is also on the agenda. They're sorting that out right now between those who support, you know, the Mitch McConnell, Romney, Liz Cheney, we, let's maybe Republicans, on, or Cruz and Hawley and 147 GOP senators, uh, uh, congressmen, House of Representatives members who voted to overthrow the Electoral College even after they had been stormed by this, uh, these militias. So the, um, there's a lot of reckoning to come in America. The possibility of the former president actually facing trial for a variety of charges relating to his behavior, not just in office, but uh, on his way to office. America may have a lot of trauma ahead one way or another. Exactly, and we'll certainly be talking about that in the days and weeks ahead. Uh, as always, Elliot, thank you so much for the time today. Great to get your perspective on this very momentous day. Well, let's keep talking, Bill. There's a lot. There's a lot of, we are in the midst of history. Yep. We have to remember that, and, it's, and we'll, have to, uh, we'll have to keep talking about it. We certainly will. Thanks again, Elliot. Elliot Tepper, Emeritus Professor at uh, Carleton University. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.